Week two, take the stand. This revelation John wants to write to the church, if you remember last week, we talked about how in the vision that John had, he saw seven lampstands. And how each lampstand was the seven churches in Asia. Uh, the, the seven churches of, of Revelation. The seven churches that God wanted to write a letter to. And in the middle of the seven lampstands was standing Jesus. And in a short, very short summary, basically what John saw was an image of Jesus. And Jesus said, I am in the middle of the church and I am trimming the wick. The church is standing on the lampstands and I'm trimming the wick to make sure that they're burning brightly and they're full of the oil that is the anointing of the Christ head of the church so that they can burn bright wherever they are. The church burning bright so that the church itself could reveal Jesus. That is what the word revelation means from the Greek apocalypsis, the, 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 the English word apocalypse meaning the revealing of or the unveiling of Jesus. That the revelation to the church was not just a unveiling of the end time, it was the revealing of Jesus to the church so that when the end times come, the church is ready. Not that we're waiting for the end times, but that we're getting ready so that when they come, we ain't surprised. We're ready to respond, and when people need somewhere to turn to, they know exactly where to go. And they know where not to go. So starting, I want to actually start off in Matthew, before we get into Revelation chapter 2. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. Now, we talk about this a lot. We're going to dig into this tonight. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp. A lamp. How many? There are seven what in the vision? Lamp stands. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. A lamp is placed on a stand so that light can be positioned to light up the place. And in this letter, the churches are all called lamp stands. The church should burn in such a way that all would see who he is and not who we are. And shining bright is not staying silent so as not to offend. But shining bright is also the way you respond in your voice. And we get something wrong when this is preached because we always, when we talk about the light, the the, the light of God, People always tend to say, we've got to become the light of the world. You ever hear, y'all, y'all hear that all the time. We've got to become the light so that the people can see God, so that we can lift our voices and people can see Jesus. We've got to become the light. But if you don't mind, can you throw up verse 14 again? It does not say, become the light of the world. It says, you are. Not become a thing, but recognize That what I have purchased, you are a thing. You are the light of the world. Jesus did not say you need to become. He said you are. And the identity of you are means you are in two places. Under a basket or on a stand. Have you taken the place on the stand as the people of God? Or are you under a basket for no one to see? Because it's not that you are not light. You are light. But does anyone see you? And no one sees light when you don't speak up. No one sees light when 
you hide from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not becoming something. It's you need to recognize who you are in Christ. And we get that rhetoric wrong because what we have created is a religious system of you need to become something so that God can use you. And God said, no, 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 no. I've taken care of the becoming. Start taking your stand. And I believe for the past 2,000 some odd years, the people of God have adopted this false system of becoming, and that's why we becoming less and less of an influence, not because we're not light, but we're under a bunch of baskets. And the baskets are called denominations and theology and doctrine. The baskets are what, what, you know, okay. Now, I'm, hold on, let me, let me get there. The question is, what is the distinction between under the basket and on the lampstand? How do you know where you're at? Well, the purpose of light is twofold. Number one, it's supposed to light up the room. Duh, right? Everyone gets that. You turn on the light, lights up the darkness. Everyone preaches that real good. We get that part. But here's the second part of it that we don't like. It exposes what's in the room. And if the church would take the stand, maybe Jesus would be seen and things not of him would be exposed for the purposes of getting it out the house. But we don't like to be the light, or no, I'm sorry, we don't like to let our light be seen because it might expose some things in the house and it might expose some things up in your house. And when it gets exposed, that means you either got to be known as the one who lets it stay or the one who does something about it. And y'all are thinking right now about some exposed things that ain't been dealt with, ain't you? But we don't like to expose things because exposing invites warfare. And the church has done a poor job of teaching people how to war. Because we've embraced a, don't worry, he's coming back. Him coming back is not to give you a get out of jail free card of don't war. It's I'm coming back, and I've given you a role. Occupy, be fruitful, multiply. That ain't talking just about populating the earth. Occupy. Take back what the enemy thinks he has authority in. The way you take it back is shine so that you can see what he has taken. What do you, why are we worried about what's going on in our nation? It's being exposed. God, do it. Guess what? He's doing it. What you complaining about? My well, ain't going the way I want to go. It's exposed. It's being exposed. He's answering the prayers. You may not like how it's being exposed, but it's being exposed. And if he's exposing it, it's for the purpose of getting it out. But who's getting it out? Because in the revelation that John has, Jesus is wearing a cloak, that a long garment that means... I don't have any work to do. But in taking your stand, you are to carry out the work that I have finished. So you are the light, and when something is exposed, church, take care of what's exposed. Take the sand. And many of, sorry, 
And many of us keep distance in the house because we don't want our stuff exposed. You know, like when you have altar calls and people all of a sudden got to leave? Some of y'all like legit. I know that. I'm just kidding. But I have seen it over my years. You know, like when you start praying for people and they get uncomfortable. I've been there. Don't play like you don't know. I've been one of those people. I used to be in a church in this huge gym, and when they have altar calls, all of a sudden there's a sound problem upstairs. And I had to go up there and fix it. Not because there's an issue. I just didn't want to be up there in an altar call. We don't like to be around stuff when it's getting exposed because we fear judgment. And unfortunately, that's how most houses are set up. They make you feel like, you've, like you're the most horrible thing on the earth and you're going to hell and they're trying to make you fear your eternity because of a mistake you made. When really we need to realize that God and the people of God should be genuine and shining, simply wanting to help us get stumbling blocks that are being exposed out of our life that you don't see because the blocks sit in dark rooms that you will not allow to be lit up. When we start to shine, you ever notice that the more in love you fall with Jesus, you repel certain people? Because they don't want their rooms to have certain things exposed, and they know that it's going to be exposed the more they around you. That's not coincidence. That's how it works. So the next time someone that is less walking in the relationship with God and you is repelled by you, take it as a compliment and don't fret. Because there is something in you that is exposing something in them and they don't want that room exposed. Probably the same thing that's happening with some of the churches in the area. things are being exposed personally in my prayers I pray Lord if there's anything in this house that needs to be exposed expose it I would hope that we are unified enough to where if something is exposed we praise God that we can get it out to move forward together not oh my God I can't believe that that was there no 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 we want it exposed we want the filter of God to bring out the impurities That's what we're here to do. That's light. Taking a stand. Not sweeping it under the rug. Not covering the issue. Let it be exposed. Deal with the issue. Get it out the house. The whole text starts off with city on a hill that cannot be hidden. A church, a people shining so bright that eyes cannot be taken off of it. If we would take the stand and let stuff be exposed for the purpose of removal, we would start to shine so bright that eyes would shift from self, from your agenda, from what party you stand for, from what you think your opinion is, they will start to shift to that city on a hill. And they they won't be able but to say, I need to get to that shining light and say, what is this all about? You see, we think it's all about convincing. Let me convince you why you're wrong and I'm right. No. It's let us take a stand to start shining and as we shine, exposure to remove to shine brighter that the culture will start to see something that is more inviting than what the culture they have created is. Because the brightness of the city in the church starts to mess with the logos or the logic of their mind. And, they, and then their blind eyes can't help but to see a light that they're drawn to. 
and they start to hear things their ears never wanted to hear. Y'all getting how this works? And then in verse 17, look at what it says. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, now listen to this. He says, I've come to accomplish its purpose, but until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of law will disappear until purpose is achieved. So that means even though Jesus accomplished purpose, there's still more purpose. Because last time I looked, earth ain't disappeared yet. Watch. So, verse 19, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, like one husband and one wife, you will be called the least in the kingdom of God, or of heaven, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Just because you are light and you are saved, that don't mean you get to live a life of how you want with no accountability. All right. Just because you are light and you are saved, that don't mean you get to live a life how you want with no accountability. Jesus says, I have accomplished the purpose of the law. The law pointed to Jesus. He says, here I am. Purpose accomplished. The law had teachings, that Jesus and Jesus fulfilled those teachings with revelation of the kingdom. Purpose accomplished. The law had legal demands. Jesus says, I obeyed all those. Purpose accomplished. The law showed the penalty if you didn't obey, and if you didn't pay that or obey those laws, you had to pay a penalty. Jesus says, I pay the penalty. Purpose accomplished. He says, I accomplished all that, but that does not mean it is fully accomplished. I took away the penalty. I fulfilled the prophetic pointing toward me, but there is so much more. If, if you walk by the law, it's no longer accomplishing righteousness, but it does accomplish shining. I accomplished the identity it got for you. But until heaven and earth disappear, if you will obey it, you will shine even brighter and reveal something to the world. Galatians 2.21 I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ to die. The law has nothing to do with right standing anymore. So the only sacrifice you need is not animals, it's not bloodshed, it's not a certain amount of prayers, it's not going to your priest and getting pendants, and, and, and it's not going and getting a bunch of Hail Marys, it's not, go, it's not going to church a certain amount of times a year, it's not making sure you're in Bible study enough. None of that legal orientation has been dealt with. But the law is the perfect expression of God's character. And you should look like it. And the more you shine, the light exposes anything that doesn't look like his character. You see, the purpose of the law now is nothing to do with the legal orientation of your eternal life. But it has a lot to do with allowing you to represent him and shine and expose. That's why he says, I fulfilled it but now you got to live by it. Not to earn anything, but to reveal me. I did not come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. But watch this. After he says, don't ignore the law, look at verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
In other words, they do it just to do it. They understand it. They can recite it. They know all the doctrine. They get it. They tried to prove me wrong with it. I told them I was the Messiah. They quoted the entire Old Testament telling me why I wasn't Messiah. They got the head knowledge. They did everything we asked. They fulfilled all of the law. But they were missing something. Because you can get all the law right and not shine. You want to know what they were missing? Well, let's open up the first letter to the church in Revelation. Is this all right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who is that again? Jesus. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So John again makes sure that everyone knows this message is from God. He upholds you. He upholds you with his right hand, the hand of victory, strength. He is among the churches. He is making sure that we are shining bright. So he wants to make sure the church knows. This is not to put you down. This is to make sure that you are shining bright so as to expose anything not of me because your job is not to sit and wait for my return. Your job is to expose and occupy and take back so that when I can come back, I can come back for a pure and spotless bride. If you really want Jesus to come back quick, get the bride pure and spotless. Because he's pretty clear about it. I ain't coming back for a ugly, tainted up bride, a pure and spotless one. And I don't know if you looked at the church lately, but I wouldn't marry that thing. Amen. Got standard, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Write this letter to the angel. Remember, angel from the Greek word meaning messenger. I want to get a message to the messenger. I, Jesus, who holds the church in my right hand. Something interesting, that Greek word hold. Uh, Kratian, K-R-A-T-E-I-N, it puts an emphasis that Jesus holds them securely. Jesus holds them, not the leaders of the churches. Despite the leadership, I, Jesus, have got you. And I'll cut whatever I need to because Jesus holds the church, not the pastor, not man, not the system. I got you. Here's the message. And I'll cut whatever I need to cut to make sure that my church is doing I'll cut the wick. I'll, I, I will put the church through a filtering process. I'll separate the wheat from the tares. It's in my hands. Not the one who started the church. Not the one who manages the church. It's in whose hands? God's hands. And sometimes a house needs to be cut because it gives the church he is holding a hindrance and shining the light. So church, take a stand, heed my word so the light of God will expose things need to be cut. And if my messengers won't carry it out, I'll take care of the hindrance of why my people ain't getting my message. I hear it all the time. Well, I just... I, 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 I've got burned by the church and I can't do my ministry anymore. And I've heard that from a lot of people and people have got re restored from that, redeemed from that, but just listen to me. People use that as a crutch. Then you weren't, can I, then you weren't letting Jesus hold you. You were letting man do it. And I'm freeing you up from that by exposing that. That's light exposing your stumbling block. Jesus holds you, not the poor manager, the poor steward. There's a parable 
of a barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13. Basically, a man planted a tree in a garden, and for three years it wasn't producing, so he wanted to cut it down, he being the father. And the gardener, Jesus, says, no, 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 give it one more year, and if it doesn't produce, then cut it. I don't want to go into the whole parable, but we always talk about how Jesus says, Father, give it one more year and I'll cut it down. But what we miss is in the, in the original language, cut it down actually in the entire uh, translation actually means cut it down for the purpose of replanting. It's called restoration. So even though the Father says, I need to cut this out, he will replant that person in the process of restoration. Because the Father don't turn his back on his people. I will never leave you. So just because something gets cut don't mean all is lost. And I don't know what's going to happen in this next week. But anything that might get cut, it can get replanted. That's all I'm going to say about that. God always wants to restore the thing, even if he's the one that's got to remove it. So in other words, God says, here's a message I've got. I need it to be delivered to the church. Which church is he talking to? Ephesus. Well, remember, Ephesus was a pretty famous city in the ancient world with an equally famous church. In fact, if you remember, Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years. Tim, there, there's, a, there's a book about it, Ephesians. Timothy worked there. Many others served in Ephesus. The city was known as a religious, cultural, and economic center of the region. It had this big temple <coughs> to the goddess Diana. It was a goddess worship uh, with sexual morality. In fact, in that time, it was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It, there was another temple of Artemis. Artemis was known for hunting and growth, and, and that, that was actually where um, it was the treasury all the kings and merchants and all the cities would actually make deposits in the treasury in the temple of Artemis. Why? Because if he was the god of growth, where are you going to put your money at? Right? That's, that's a whole other message, you know, where you, where you sow your seed. But they had all these other gods, great temples. Ephesus was a stronghold. Many evil things were practiced. False gods were worshipped, <coughs> superstitious things, sorcery, many forbidden things. And in the midst of this city that Satan was working in, there was a church. And God said, John, I've got a message for that church. Verse 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. Jesus starts the letter off. I know all the things you do. He's reminding them, I've been looking at you. I've been watching you. I'm a very present reality. I'm a present help in your time of need. I've been watching this entire time. And when Jesus starts to expose stuff, we love to respond with, but Jesus, look at what we've done. Well, I know that I've got this issue, but look at how far I've come in my life. Can't I have this one issue, this one cl uh, clutch, crutch? Jesus says, I, I know how far you've come. I've been there the whole time. I've been watching. I know. I know how hard your church has been working. I know what breakthroughs you've had. I know the struggles. I know exactly where you've been. But just because you've done a lot does not mean that you are finished. He finished his work so that he can focus on helping you accomplish all you've got to do. That's why he is standing in the middle of the churches, he ain't got any more to do. He's just, that, I'm, let, me, let me expose that thing. 
Let me expose that thing. Let me. His focus is on trimming the wick. And we have no right to say, but Jesus, look at what we've done. I've done this ministry. I've done that. I led this. I've been through that. I've lived 30 years in the church. I've done 65 years of ministry. I've done this. Jesus says, I know. And that's great. But you ain't done. And I need to remind everyone in this room of that. You ain't nowhere near finished. None of you. Including me. We lo- do not let past accomplishments or a busy schedule qualify your workload as enough when it comes to carrying out your purpose. And we love to say Jesus understands. Yeah, he sees all you've done and that you use that as an excuse to hide under the basket rather than take the stand. Hide under the basket of your employer. Well, I need to get home and rest. Did you read the life of Jesus? You know where he got filled up? In the early morning hours of prayer and intercession because he didn't have much time to rest. In fact, he had so little time to rest that he had to break the Sabbath and then he had to get punked out by the priest for breaking the Sabbath. Well, I just need my time. Is God enough to give you the rest of what you think you can accomplish by yourself? See, y'all don't like that. I got amens the whole message. That one, everyone's like. You don't know how hard I work. I don't really give a flip how hard you work. I'm going to be honest with you. When I got that call Friday, the last thing on, on, when I had that phone call, hey, Kyle, would you, would you go to this drug addict's house and he might, he might be dead, he might be alive, can you help this and that? The last thing I'm doing is going, I'm thinking, man, I ate all day. And then I had to, hold on, there is so much work. I don't get to tell God I don't have time. When an assignment is put on you, it's a, yes, sir. And if no assignment is put on you, rest. Y'all getting this? And it goes on. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. This is actually referring to something that Paul warned the Ephesians in. We did a whole series on Acts. In Acts chapter 20, look at these three verses, verse 29. Paul says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave you, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Y'all ever seen that happen in church? Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watching care over your night and day, and my many tears for you. So Jesus says, be encouraged. I've been watching you. You took that word seriously, and you've been doing well with that. Because what did he say in the verse? He said, I know you don't tolerate evil people. I know you've examined the claims of those that are apostles, and you said they're not. I know you've discovered the liars. You did very well on the assignment that my apostle Paul gave you. Y'all see how Revelation ties into the rest of the Bible? He says, I've seen all that. You've done well with it. (laughs) You've got a backbone. You stuck to the truth. You didn't let it get distorted. That's a word for the church today. Jesus is watching, and some he, he sees are sticking to the truth, and some he sees ain't. Look at verse 3. He says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. He, he, is, he is setting this letter up. Kind of makes me scared next time Jesus is saying, Kyle, you've done such a good job. <laughs> my, my, my next question is like, all right, Jesus, just cut to the chase. I don't need the puff up. Just tell, tell me what i got to get to, right? You patiently suffered for me without quitting. 
through all those hard choices, you persevered for me. By all outward appearances, this was a solid church. They worked hard. They stood for truth. They reached people. They protected their integrity. Verse 4. But, now you know if God gives you a but, that's like, a, like, like an almighty but. But I, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Hold on. You got great outreach. You finding the liars. You calling out false apostles. You persevering for me. You've got great systems. You're doing it all right. Your church looks great for people who don't know. But you don't love me. And all the good you're doing, it don't cancel out or give you a pass on what I need to correct you on. Because in the light you are, there are things being exposed as I stand among you, Ephesus. You don't love me or each other. So we always like to point out the whole Jesus saying you don't love me, but he says you don't love me or each other like you first did. Me and God had the same conversation with Relentless almost two years ago. That's why we came to this tiny behind space. Because we were growing, we had a lot of people, and then through some wisdom, God finally said, Kyle, the people don't love each other. And then we were looking at this space, and I thought it was going to be office space. That's why like, I was taking out the lease to maybe, oh, we're going to have some Bible studies in here. We can have a creative team shop in here. And I walked out. I, I, I remember it's plans that I walked in here, and God said, you're going to move the whole thing here. Because he said, because y'all don't love each other. And the way you're going to start loving each other is cramming them all in the same room. <laughs> and guess what? It worked. He says, Ephesus, you don't love me and you don't love each other like you first did. The New King James Version actually says you left your first love. Not you fell out of love with me. Not you casually walked out of my relation. You left. You left your, despite all the stuff you're doing, you left first love. You departed from relationship with me and each other, and the only relationship you have is with your operations. Because you're running everything great. You're managing your resources well. You're managing your team well. You're preaching the word well. You got all the stuff right. You've got a great relationship with your operations and your strategies. But you have left a relationship with me. You ever been to a house where everything looked good on the outside, but there was an emptiness in it that you couldn't quite figure out? That's what Jesus was calling out in Ephesus. Because without love, all is in vain. The church at Ephesus had become a working for Jesus church instead of falling in love with Jesus' church. And I have a feeling that that's where a lot of the people of God are today. We're all working for Jesus, but based off of the decisions we're making on behalf of our congregations, it's obvious there's not much relationship with them. We're compromising for the system Instead of taking a stand for the relationship, take the stand. We can get the doctrine right, we can get the truth right, we can get the outreach, we can get the services right, and still do, do it without and flowing from an understanding of who we are in him still doing it without a relationship and love with him and the family. And I'm not talking about excitement. 
you know, because like charismatic people love to get, remember how excited you were when you first got in love with Jesus? Church, we need to yell, we need to shout, we need to dance, we need to pray. I'm not talking about excitement. I'm talking about letting that excitement mature into depth. Because married people know what that is. I've seen it a lot. The wedding day is exciting. Probably because of the wedding night. And see, the depth of that relationship, that excitement just turned into doghouse. So, <laughs> but, but 10 years later, you may not have that same excitement, but there's a depth that the worst fight can't touch. But that same fight on the first day may have destroyed you. Love should mature so that all you do flows from love and not performance. But what the church has done is we've sacrificed a relationship with Jesus and we've got a bunch of churches that are 10 miles wide and 10 inches deep. We should flow from relationship and want not have to. This message is called Take the Stand. We need to take the stand in our relationship with God and, and the people of God in such a way that it will repel the other things in your life that right now you may not want to leave or lose. Because in taking a stand in a relationship, when you take the stand, that shine will expose things that need to be removed. And you may not like it. You may not want it to go. But Jesus says, I've got a letter you need to read. Because you may love this thing. But I assure you, it's not matching the maturity of relationship that I want from you. Are, are y'all? Verse 5. <clears throat> Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. Let, me. let me stop and say something before I get in this verse. <clears throat> you fell out of love, Ephesus, with me and each other. We need to remember that because this is what falling in love with the systems do. It puts a, blind, a blanket over our eyes because we think the church loves each other when we have great small group programs when we have great Wednesday night and Thursday night turnouts but let's talk about the depth of it because I've been in small groups and I, I've been there where I've gone every week for a year and no one knows what the heck I'm going through in my life I've been in Programs in church, even when, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I used to go to a church in Savannah every Thursday night in a college small group. And then I went to another one on Friday night on Hilton Head in another college small group because I want a relationship. You know what I got? We want to use your talent. Can you play keys for us? You know how many friends I had out of, out of that? And I would drive an hour and a half every Friday night, and all they looked at me was a keyboard player, and all I wanted was a friend. Because churches fall in love with the program and not each other. And I refuse to lead a house where I don't know what you're going through, where I don't know what I can pray for you over. I, ref I refuse to lead a house where you don't know each other. 
We need to fall in love with each other. If I may get so bold, can, can I? Give me the right words, Holy Spirit. I'm serious. There is such a divide in this nation with cultures and race. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to all the different, I'm going to say it boldly, races in this room. Is that okay, everybody? Here's the, here's the way we shine and expose the issue. A lot of churches try to do the multicultural thing but can't do it. You know why? Because they want a colorful congregation but they don't have life together. Do you realize what opportunity we have as a house to lead by example? To not let a cultural obvious difference prevent life? Not we go to church together, but we do life together. We understand each other. We understand our offenses. We understand our differences. We understand our hurts. We understand our likes. We actually do life together because we have not fallen out of love with him and we haven't fallen out of love with each other. If that church can shine, then the racial issue will be exposed by a city on a hill. That, that's how, that is how we're going to change it. And I will be bold enough to say it. There is not a church like that in this area. There's little sparks of it, but it ain't happened yet. And we're going to see it here. I will say that prophetically. We will see it in this house. Verse 5. I'm taking that stand. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus says, I don't want to cut and replant you because this is where I need you, Ephesus. I need you right there in the middle of the most supernaturally messed up pagan city that worships every god but me. I need you there, church. It reminds me a lot of Savannah, Georgia. He says, look how far you've fallen. Remember where you came from. Remember how in love with me you used to be. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, after he went out and he wasted everything he had, you know what made him want to come back? Look at Luke 15, 17 and 18. It says when he finally came to his senses, this is when his inheritance was wasted, when he was working in a pig pen, shoveling stuff, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. He remembered what his life was like when he was in relationship with his father. And he, when he remembered what that life was like, he said, you know what? I need to change my direction. And I need to go back to, to that relationship. Going back to first love is not, God, I'm sorry. It's, I'm going to change my direction and take a stand for the importance of my relationship and go back to my father. That's called repentance. 
That's why the letter says, remember where you came from and turn around and come back to me. And then it refers, and if you don't repent, I'll cut you out. And in changing your direction, do the works you did at first. You remember the first work that was done when the prodigal came home? What happened? He, he was embraced by his father. In other words, get back to the basics. Church, remember how you used to break bread together in my name? How you used to get together for dinner every night? Remember how you used to pray together? Remember how you used to spend time with each other? Remember how you used to get lost in worship and not worried about getting done so that people could get on with their lives? And how easy it is to get lost in new strategies and new ideas and forget the basics and first works that flowed from first loves. And Jesus says, if you don't do these things, even though you get all the outreach right, and you stand on truth, I will remove your lampstand. I will remove your shine. Your organization can remain. It, it can remain, but it ain't going to have me in it. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, you got this guy named Eli. His daughter-in-law was giving birth to a baby, and she died in childbirth. And before she died, the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, the thing that held the presence of God... It had been stolen by the Philistine army and the people of God had been defeated. And before she died, her last words were naming the baby. It says she named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel, who is Israel? The people of God. Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from the people of God, Israel. For the ark of God had been captured. Just because you're the people of God don't mean the glory exists among you. He says, so if you want my glory to remain, you better take a stand in first love. Is, is all right? Verse 6. But, there's another but, this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. After the correction, there's an encouragement. Because I see that you ain't that far away. The journey back to first love isn't as far as you think it is. Because you do, in fact, share in my heart. The Nicolate, with the Nicolaitans, the word literally meant to conquer people. These were the deceivers that came up in the church that claimed they were an improved, modern version of the church, and they set themselves up above the people. And you've got churches now that are a new, modernized version setting themselves up above the people. Well, now we accept this sinful lifestyle. Or you got false teachers in the government saying amen and a woman. We're in the same day. You know what they're called? Nicolaitans. They are, they are presenting themselves as having more knowledge than what the people of God have. And instead of focusing on that, the people of God are huffing and puffing about who's a false prophet and who's a real prophet. When truth be said, nothing's over yet. Because our attention's on the wrong thing. Our attention should be is first love and loving each other. But don't be mistaken. Jesus himself says, I have not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Because true love with each other will cause a divide. Because when you shine in his character, it will expose things that some people will separate from you with. Including the people of God who may not walk in first love. 
because they have fallen in love with their systems. And we need to be careful not to exalt our ideals above his, and we have to align with not accepting that behavior. Yet we distort a word called love for the sake of unifying with modern-day Nicolaitans. And Jesus did not hate the Nicolaitans. He hated what they did and what they stood for. And we have to remember, and I, this stirs me up all the time, there's a lot of people who claim they're people of God who stand for the wrong things. Be careful. You're not called to hate them. You're called to hate what they stand for. So watch your mouth because that is how you shine. You're not called to curse them. You're called to shine so brightly as to help expose the things that are influencing wrong decisions. Because there is a power at work within them that they may not know. And it can only be exposed by a city on a hill. If you haven't caught on, I'm teaching you how to war. We love them, but we cannot stand with their ways. So we love them by interceding, praying, approaching God on their behalf for what they do not know and taking a stand in our first love so we can shine so bright that hopefully they will come to us ready to return to first love just like us. <coughs> and the last verse, Revelation 2.7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. And understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. After he delivers the message to John to write to the church, God says, by the way, this goes for anyone who will listen. Anyone. Because I'm the God who was and is and is to come. So anyone who was and is and is to come... If you've got ears to listen to this, this is for you too. And to any of you who overcomes, to any of you who have this issue and returns to first love, I have for you a return to Eden, a restoration, a heaven on earth. Not waiting for heaven once you die, but I have a restoration of a heaven on earth, peace on earth experience where nothing moves you but my voice and my embrace. Not performance. Not I've got to get to the place to experience his glory. But I walk in the glory. I carry the presence. I am the temple of God. I am the light. That word paradise actually means a garden of delight. The place where God lives. He says, if you hear this, and understand it and overcome it to everyone. I give you the fruit of the place where God lives. That's where he wants you to dwell. In the place of first loves with him and believers. The curse on your lives cannot hold you. He says when I restore you as a result of returning to first love. So if you have found yourself in bondage of any kind, if you have found yourselves in any sort of chains where you feel like you cannot break free, you have felt yourself in a holding pattern where you feel like you cannot get out, it's pretty easy. Take the stand in the first love of relationship with him before anything else. And it will expose everything that you need to see for the purpose of removal so that we, the church, can become that city on, the, on a hill. And when we become that church, that city on a hill, that's when we'll see the revival and the movement that has already begun, but will come into fruition.
because they won't see us. They will see the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen.